Okay, so we're on this series, and the, and the first message we're looking at comes out of the text of uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 9. And, uh, and I'm, let me read that for us. It is, uh, it is Jesus' baptism and then his uh, journey into the wilderness in Mark's version. Uh, Matthew and Luke have the more extended version of uh, the, his temptations in the wilderness. And I'm going to make reference to them but not read them. Uh, so that's another place you might want to just jump and read that and, as well as along the way. So anyway, this is what it says, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 in Mark. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being opened and the Spirit descended on, descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Uh, It's kind of interesting. It says right after Jesus was baptized, he was immediately led out or sent out. Uh, The word there, sent, is really like compulsed to go, like he was like, you don't have an option, was sent out. Uh, into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And, I, and I'm writing this stuff, I'm, and I'm kind of thinking about this all the last couple of weeks, and I've been asking myself, you know, why would anyone want to go into the wilderness? I, and, and that's kind of the title of the message. Why the wilderness? Why would anybody want to go in the wilderness, want to go in the desert? And Jesus was sent into this desert place. And it was, it was desert, desert kind of thing. I grew up in Arizona, so I know a little bit about the desert. But, but this is desert, desert. And I... I, I uh, you know, he, he, the River Jordan was down here, and he was down there getting baptized, and he went up to the Jordan uh, Desert, high desert, and, it, and it's, it's a dry place. And uh, I got some pictures of it. I looked up, and it, it's not the kind of place you just think, hey, let's go for a picnic up there and hang out for 40 days and 40 nights. But uh, it, it is, uh, it is a, a rugged, dry kind of thing. You know, what's, you know what's common about the desert? This is not in your thing. You know what's common about the desert? Everything in the desert either pokes you, or pricks you, or stings you, or bites you. That's basically it. Even the things that smell good. I mean, you go out there, you see something smell, and you go over there and pick it up, and it's got stickers all over it like crazy. It, it, it's just a, it's not a nice place to be in the desert. But, but uh, Mark is telling this, and then on top of it, Mark says, not only was it desert desert, it was desert full of wild animals. It was just, it was a rough place to be. And here we are at the beginning of the 40 days of Lent, and I'm asking you, to go on a journey with me into the desert. Go on a journey with us together into the je- desert. And, and who would willingly do that? Anyone want to sign up for that trip? You know, I, I, not many of us would just willingly want to go do that, especially the kind of desert he was going to. But I want to talk to you today about some reasons why you might want to consider a journey into the desert, a journey into the wilderness. And, and I think the first reason for that is simply this is that trips into the wilderness seem to be part of the story of God with his people. It is just the way God seems to work with his people. Amazing things seem to happen in the wilderness, in the desert with Jesus as he was going along with God's people throughout all the scriptures. And and some of them were there for 40 days. It was kind of a common kind of thing. You remember Moses. Moses was in the desert in this particular case in, uh, in, let's see, where was Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. Moses is in the wilderness, and he's gone up on Mount Sinai, and he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and it's, but it's there in that place that he receives the Ten Commandments. 
Something huge happens in his life. You may remember Elijah. Elijah was this guy who had this battle between the Baals. You remember, remember the story of the battle between the Baals? They had, okay, well, you see what your God can do, and I'll see what my God can do. And, and the prophets of Baal all had their thing, and they ranted and raved, and, and no, no fire came. And, and Elijah came and built the thing and covered it with water and prayed, and God brought down fire. And they had this big battle, and, the, and they wiped out all the prophets of Baal. And, and immediately after that, Elijah's just scared stiff, and he, and he takes running off. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks the queen is going to kill him. And, and so he runs into the desert, and he's got this kind of poor me thing going on. Here I am. I'm in the desert, and it's a horrible place to be. And you know, I'm the only good guy left, and everybody else, a bunch of wimped out on me, and they fled away, and I'm the only one left, the only faithful one left. And he's journeying in the desert for 40 days, and an angel shows up and says, you know, God's coming. 40 days he journeys, and he finally encounters God in a cave. In the, after 40 days in the desert. How, how about the life? This is one you don't usually think of. But the life of Hagar. Hagar is, you know who Hagar is. Hagar was the female servant of, of Sarah. And when Sarah wasn't having any kids, uh, she gave Hagar to her husband, Abraham. And they had a child. And, and it created all kinds of issues and problems. And it was a mess and all that kind of stuff. And finally, Hagar had had enough. And she'd said... I, I, I got to take off. I just got to get out of here. And she left and she fled to the desert. She says, I'm going to take my son to the desert and I'm just going to die in the desert. And she gets out there in the desert and, and God shows up and says, I've heard your cry. I'm not done with you. I, I have a plan yet for you. And, and, and you think about all the times that Jesus, not, not just in the temptation of Jesus here in the desert, but think about all the times that that Jesus stepped aside and went to a lonely place, went to a deserted place, not, not, a, not a deserted. I, I, I thought about that. I don't know. I, I signed up for that trip. <laughs> I want to go to the deserted place. <laughs> but, but to deserted places, or, or there was just nobody there, a time to be alone. And, and in those places, God refreshed him, and God brought something new to his life. And there was, a, there was a whole good new thing happening. And, and you look through scriptures and over and over again, you see that all over. People experiencing God in amazing ways in these places of solitude, in these places of wilderness, the places of the desert. And the whole point of this is being, if God has a pattern, if God has a pattern of encountering people in the wilderness, then perhaps we ought not to so easily insulate ourselves from a road less traveled. Insulate ourselves from those times apart and those times alone and those times that seem like desert wilderness places in our lives. Maybe we ought instead to just embrace them and see what God would want to do with us. Now, the second thing, the reason why I think we ought to be thinking about the wilderness is is that temptations in the wilderness are not always what they seem to be. You know, I, I think sometimes we, we, we read through the temptations of Jesus so many times. You know, you know, the temptation to say, you know, turn these stones into bread. Or, or the temptation to say, you know, if you really are who you say you are, Satan took him up to the top of the temple and said, if you really are who you say you are, just, just jump off and, and prove. Because, you know, God's word says, you know, you're never going to, nothing let anything harmful happen to you because you're the Messiah. And, and, and I know what you want. You want all these people to bow down to you. You want all these people to follow you and worship you. And, and, and they'll do that. I'll, I'll make that all happen to you if you'll just bow the knee to me. And somehow we kind of get this idea. We associate 
wilderness, desert, massive temptation. Oh, I don't want to confront this. And there is a logic to say, oh, maybe that would be a good thing to stay away from the desert. <laughs> maybe it would good be, I mean, unknown things happen in the desert. There's prickly things out there that bite me. Maybe I ought not to go out there. But yet at the same time, these places are also places where God shows up and God is doing amazing kinds of things. And, and, and I think if we, we think about this, this process, there is a difference between temptation and testing. And, and the difference is where it's coming from and what its goal or objective is. And, and this is a good pattern to understand that when, when Satan comes in our lives and he brings temptation and temptation from Satan is an invitation to evil. That, that's kind of how that process works. But God brings stuff in our lives, and his stuff comes as testings of us, and it brings about our good or our development, our faithfulness comes out of that. And sometimes those same situations can look very similar, and yet they're quite different. Now, unless you think I'm just kind of crazy in saying this, I really get this from experience that, that the, the Israelites had in their wilderness experience. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, and, and we're not, I just have verse 2 up here, but the whole kind of little, that whole section there talks about some pretty cool stuff. But, but the experience they were having uh, in the wilderness, and they were, they were being reminded of things that God had done and was doing in and through them. And, and, and verse 2 says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to, first of all, humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. See, see these experiences in the wilderness, when, when we have opportunities to choose, a temptation is, is a test for us to choose. We choose one way, you choose the other way. And, and, and these things are coming. And, and, and Satan's temptation to us is to choose for evil. God is saying to us, choose good, and, and good will come of it. And it is this pattern. And, and, and it's what God was doing with the Israelites in the wilderness. God was testing them to see what was in their hearts. But God was doing something more. See, God was also revealing who he was in those circumstances. Did you remember this? He said, for their hunger, for their hunger, God was the God who provided. And that, that's what that Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5 talks about. It talks about, remember this, when you were hungry in the wilderness, God brought you manna, that which you had, you or your, nor your forefathers had ever seen before. God provided in the midst of that moment. Well, guess what they're going to learn about God? God is the God who provides stuff. When I'm in deep, dark places, when I'm at the end, God provides stuff. They said, think about this. Think about your clothes. Forty years in the wilderness. Now, this is, this is crazy. I mean, you just have to say, was that just a story? Is this really true? I think it's true. But, uh, you know, but I'm this kind of way I am. But it says, your clothes didn't wear out. The soles of your shoes didn't wear out. That was God sustaining you. God is saying something about who he is by how he's working in your life. And so in the midst of that wilderness experience, they were having opportunities to choose for good. But God was revealing something to them that they would not have experienced any other way. He was there right with him. You think about the temptations of Jesus. Think about all that stuff. 
you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I got to agree with this really crazy thing. I just say to myself, you know what? Would it have been all that bad for Jesus to have said, yeah, poof, that's a bread. Ugh, I need a bread. Would it have been the end of the world to do that? I mean, if you could have appeased your appetite and done all that, you had all the power to do that, would that have been all that bad to do? Yes. Go back to Deuteronomy, same passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 5. You know what that says? Not when it, when it says about the manna and all that kind of stuff. The very next line after describing this manna, the, the writer of Deuteronomy says, For man shall not live by bread alone. <laughs> That's the verse that Jesus quoted against the devil. I, I'm not trusting in God. I'm not, I'm not well, that bad. <laughs> I'm not trusting in myself or my stuff. I'm trusting in God for my sustenance. Why? Because I have a history of understanding that's how God is and that's how he works. Anybody have identity issues? Don't raise your hand if you do. Sorry, I'm always doing that. But wouldn't it be fun if just in one moment you could solve all of your identity issues? Everybody would know who you are. Everybody would know what you're about. You'd be confident in yourself. Everybody would go, that's who this person is. I know about that guy. Wouldn't it be really cool if you could just solve all of those issues in just one moment? For all of you insecure people, you'd say, yeah. I'd say yeah. Well, just throw yourself down. But no, I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to accept God. My identity is not based in something I am or something I do, but it is in who God is. Can you imagine if Jesus... I know he didn't think like this, but I probably did. I have an objective I'm trying to achieve. I want to achieve this amazing objective. And maybe there are many roads that would get me there. Do I really have to go through the road of the cross, pain, the suffering? Separation to get there? Or could I go could I go another route? Would that have been so bad? Jesus, if you just slip a quick knee to me, I'll make all the world love you, follow you, worship you. Satan really didn't have the power to do that, but that's part of the problem. Yes, it would have been disastrous. But in Jesus' responses, there is this continual affirmation of who he was and what he was really about. And in that process, it was something wonderful, good for him to, to, to stand firm, to say, I'm, I'm God. I'm the Son of God come to earth. I have a purpose and a plan, and I'm not about this stuff. 
I'm about something much bigger. I'm not about shortcuts. I'm here as a sacrifice. But you know, in that same process, it was good for us. And those are the kinds of things that happen in a wilderness experience. In a wilderness experience, we find out stuff about who we are and what we're about. But those same experiences make a difference in the lives of the people around you. And the reason why I say this is this. Just think about this. Think about the temptations of Jesus. If he had said, if he had said, given in to any of those invitations from the devil, what I'm about to read you would not make any sense. But because he stood the test, it does. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 say, says this, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, this encounter that Jesus had in the wilderness impacted all of us and benefited all of us. The author goes on in chapter 4, verse 15, 14, 15, 16. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way and yet is without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find help, find grace to help us in our time of need. Something happened out of that wilderness experience of Jesus that made a difference in us. We have someone on our side who knows us, experienced us, who's gone through it, who's on our side. You see, a third thing is just this. When it gets right down to it, there are just some things that you only learn in the wilderness. There's some things you only learn in the wilderness. Uh, A theologian of years gone by said this, Spurgeon. He said, is it not curious that whenever God means to make a great man, or make a man great, or woman, he was old school, he always first breaks him or her into pieces. He makes you hungry before he feeds you. He strips you before he robes you. He makes nothing of you before he makes something of you. See, that's what, that's what God did with the Israelites in the wilderness. He was making something of stripping away everything else until their full and total dependence was just on God. Teaching them about themselves and about who he is. It's what he did with Jacob. If you haven't filled in that early one about other experiences, this is what. It's what he did with Jacob in the wilderness. You know, Jacob, he, re, he returned back to his brother and, and, and he sent everything he had away. He, he sent his cattle and his sheep and all of his, uh, everything he had. He sent his family and his children and all the things he had until he was just left by himself in the desert by himself that night when he wrestled with God. Changed his life forever. And if you don't think that wasn't a significant desert encounter, remember the fact that that the Jews don't eat the swine of the hip. They, they They don't eat that part of the animal because they say that was where God touched Jacob. And 
and that's held with them through all these centuries. It was an important moment, life-changing kind of moment. It's what happened with David. So many times he's out in the desert, in the wilderness, and, and God shows up in those moments. It's what he does with us when we reach the end of ourselves, when we reach the end of our energy, the end of our resources, the end of our abilities, when we reach the end of us. In that place is when we begin to understand something more about God than we could ever possibly before and understand who he is, who we are, and how much he deeply cares for us. Why the wilderness? It's one of the ways that God matures us, one of the ways that he teaches us stuff that we just won't learn if we're afraid to enter into the wilderness. We uh, were talking about this passage of Scripture a few weeks ago, and, and Jim Hartman shared a story that, that talked about his experience of just finding God when he was at the end of himself. Finding God was right there in that place. Watch this video. A couple of weeks ago, we were reading the passage for today of Jesus in the wilderness, I was reminded at that time of my own wilderness story. When I was 19 years old, I was on a backpacking trip up in Northern California with three of my best friends. We were about 10 miles in, um, camping next to this beautiful, pristine lake. Uh, second day we were there, we looked across the lake and we saw this beautiful rock formation. We thought, ah, perfect for diving. So we go ahead and we decide that we'll go ahead and swim across the lake. It's only about a quarter mile across, and we'll swim across, do some diving, and then come on back. So we set out across the lake. About halfway across, I realized that upon swimming the rest of the distance, I probably wouldn't have had the, um, the strength to be able to swim the full distance back. So I made a decision to swim back at that point and leave the three of my friends. They continued across the lake, and I go ahead and, and I'm swimming back to shore. About 300 feet out, though, unfortunately, in 58 degrees water, um, I started to cramp. I lost uh, my right arm to begin with. And then I was continuing to motor along, working my way into shore, and then soon later I lost um, my right leg. At that point, I was about 200 feet from shore, and I was down to two limbs and incredibly fatigued at that point. So, but I kept trying. I went on my side, I laid on my back, I tried to do everything I could to make it to shore. And unfortunately, I, like the pastor's dad that he shared a couple of weeks ago, I have about the, the buoyancy of a rock. So if I'm not propelling, I'm sinking. So I know that I need to keep going. Unfortunately, my body was going to fail me that day. And my last leg started to cramp, and there was very little strength, and I was still 100 feet out from shore in about 30 feet deep of water. At that point, I realized that um, that was it. I was not going to make it. Uh, on that day, I was going um, to die. Um, so as I finally got to the point that I took my last stroke, um, my feet started to swing down towards the bottom of the lake. And just as my head and my mouth and my nose was um, about to go under the surface of the lake, my foot struck something. I looked down, and to my amazement, there was this spire of rock that came up about 20 feet from the surface of, of the lake up to a point of about six inches. 
that six inches is what my foot struck. I put my toes on top of that rock, and I, with the last strength remaining in my good arm, I treaded water there for about five to ten minutes until some sensation started coming back into my other limbs. I then pushed towards the shore, and I was able to make the final 100 feet. As I pulled myself out of the lake and laid myself down and laid on this rock in the sun, all I could think about is that a year earlier, I had committed my life to Jesus, and I was saved. That a year later, I was saved a second time. And I look at that rock that was at the bottom of the lake, and I truly felt that that was the finger of God. He showed himself to me that day, and I have never, ever doubted how real God and, our Je- and Jesus our Savior is. Pretty amazing kind of story. Can you imagine that? I, I just, uh, when, when Jim shared that story, I, I was just like, I was overwhelmed with that. I think of all the places you could have come to the end of yourself, I mean, if, if he's three feet over, he doesn't hit that rock. Any, anywhere around there, you, 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 don't, you don't hit the rock. That's being at the end of yourself, folks. When you come to that place and you're saying, literally, I'm done. I'm done. If, if you don't show up, God, I'm done. And God is there. You see, I, I, think that, I think that we all experience wilderness moments. And in closing, I, I just want to ask you this couple questions. And this is it. What, what, what does your wilderness look like? What does your wilderness look like? See, I don't like camping that much, and I'm really not inviting you to go with me out in the desert for 40 days. And I don't think we need to. Because I think we are surrounded all the time with wilderness experiences that we don't identify as wilderness experiences. We don't identify them as places where God wants to shape us and mold us and reveal something about himself to us and teach us something about ourselves. We kind of power through them or we avoid them. This is what my wilderness experience looks like. That's Sharp Memorial Hospital. I I used to really like that place. When Jonathan was sick there and he was uh, getting healed up, I thought it was the greatest hospital in the world. And now after four years of chemo treatments with Norma, multiple surgeries and all the rest, I don't really like that place. I mean, I appreciate that place. There's a difference. I deeply appreciate it. But I don't really like that place. Because they had a lot of painful stuff going on. When, when, I, uh, when I'm in that wilderness place, I, I've had to ask those questions of life and death. And why, God, are you doing this in my life, wife's life? Why is this happening? I've asked some pretty selfish questions in those places. Like, 
God, what's my life going to be like? How am I going to make it through this? Well, my wife sits there and gets all pumped up full of junk. But in that wilderness place, I've also come to understand a lot about God's presence, a lot about an eternity, as Norma says, that begins now, not after death, but now. A lot about just walking and trusting. And I didn't need to go to a desert to find it. The wilderness found me. <laughs> and so I'm going to ask you that question today. What is your wilderness? I know some of your stories, and, and some of you are, you know, in financial situations that uh, you, you don't know what tomorrow is going to hold for you. But in the midst of those questions and doubts and concerns, God is present with a pinnacle of rock sticking up through the water. Some of you are, well, i got a whole list of things, things in school, things in sports, things in work. Health. We, we all have those areas of our lives where, where we just don't know what's coming next. God, God wh why is my career not going the way I really want it to go? Why do I seem stuck in this job and yet I feel something more for me out here? Why do kids talk about me at school, God? Why do kids call me a goody-goody? Or whatever they call you. Why, why do I get in trouble if I stand up for somebody who's not one of the popular kids getting stepped on? How come somebody else is getting the lead roles in the plays or on the sports team? Why do I feel so crummy? Those are all wilderness places where God wants to reveal himself to you. And, and, and sometimes, let me just, lest we get sidetracked here just a little bit. Sometimes we say, my life is so together, I don't have any wilderness places, right? No. Save, sanctify, petrify. Just think about Jesus' story. Jesus had just been baptized. The heavens had opened up. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, had descended upon him. And a voice from heaven, such that people heard it, heard the words, 
This is my son whom I love, with whom I, with him I am well pleased. Now get thee out to the desert. That sounds like fun. Jesus had just come for this amazing experience with God. This amazing moment. And yet the desert was waiting for him. We have these amazing places we find ourselves in with God. And yet, just around the corner, there's a wilderness coming. The Israelites had just seen God do amazing things to help them get released from captivity. Just parted the Red Sea. Walked through on dry ground. The Egyptians walked through and drowned in the same place. And what waited them? The wilderness. You see, there is something for them to learn in the wilderness. There's something for God to reveal himself, that, that place where he wants to do that. See, because you've got to remember this. The journey, the journey in spiritual maturity, the journey to spiritual maturity, this idea of moving from captivity to the promised land, this idea of going from immaturity to maturity, from our strength to God's strength, always always goes through the desert. You don't get there without going through the desert. And there is this ever-present danger to think that we've already arrived, that somehow we've arrived in the promised land. You know, I got my act together. What more could come my way? I know stuff. I've been through stuff. It's a dangerous place to be. God invites us into the wilderness on this journey with him. This Lenten season is this idea of, of just saying, I'm going to take 40 days and I'm just going to journey with God. God, what is it that you want to say to me about my wilderness? The first question is, what does your wilderness look like? That's one of the lines you need to fill in, by the way. What is your wilderness like? Write it. The second question is pretty simple. Will you embrace it? Will you embrace it as God's work in your life? God's path to something great in you? Or will you flee? Will you run? Will you hide? You say, boy, I'd rather be a couch potato. I'd rather just be comfy. Or would you be willing to step into the wilderness with God? Because he's, see what happens in the wilderness is? It's, it's where you lose yourself. It's stepping out into a place where you don't have enough. Your resources aren't enough. Your energy is not enough. Your smarts aren't enough. Your abilities aren't enough. And in that place, we find out that God is enough. That's the journey we're on.
That's the journey we're on. A.W. Tozer says, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work in us. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, he said, all God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. You are invited in this Lenten season to go with God into whatever wilderness he has placed you in and find him there sufficient. Father, into your hands we give all that we are. An invitation into the wilderness, into the desert, is not something we most of the time just uh, willingly jump up for. But there, God, we find you in ways that we will never find you anywhere else. It's easy just to sit back and stay who we are and do what we've always done. But Lord, to get us from captivity to the promised land, it's always through the wilderness. So Lord, I pray for my people. I pray for me. Pray for my people. In these 40 days, may may we just walk with you into the unknown. May we listen to what you want to say to us about our perspectives, our life, our situation. And see them not as an obstacle, but as a path for our betterment, for our greater knowledge of who you are and our maturity. And so, Father, lead us. Have your day way done in us in this Lenten season. We especially pray in Jesus' name.